Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. Have you ever, as a doctor, felt like one of the technicians on your team was trying to tell you how to practice medicine? You're not alone. This happens. And in this case, we have an email uh, in the mailbag that Andy and I are diving into on the podcast this week from a veterinarian who grew up in a practice, worked with a technician for a really long time, left the practice to get some additional experience and has come back and is now part owner. And they feel like one of the technicians in the practice who helped train them as a new grad is now trying to tell them how to practice medicine and treating them like they're the boss versus the other way around, which is a pretty sticky situation. So let's get into this one. There's a lot to talk about. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only practice management goddess, Stephanie, since you've been what? gone, goss. <laughs> since you've been gone. Oh, oh you guys make me feel so awkward since you've been that, gone. when you use that moniker. When How's it going? I, yeah, just singing some Kelly Clarkson at you. That's, that's what's up with it. Oh, yeah. It's a... Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's okay. My wife is enjoying life more than I am right now. Um, because so, she's done with school? Well, because she's done with school, yes. But also, uh, so I work a lot in the yard outside. You know, yes. it's my happy place. And I, I have planted a lot of stuff since the yes. pandemic started. It looks really good. And recently, a herd of deer found my yard. Okay. And they have been coming and grazing on all the things the baby trees that i have planted and my beautiful hydrangeas and it is driving me nuts and so i have gone to war with the herd of deer but also i don't (laughs) like to hurt animals so i'm not actually doing anything but i need them to not i get real upset when i come home and half my hydrangeas eaten and so I have a plan. So first of all, I went and I bought the stuff that's supposed to, it's basically, uh, it's basically like bitter apple dog spray that you spray on furniture, <laughs> but you spray it on plants. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's like blood and eggs and coyote pee and it's like everything nasty <laughs> oh they can God. think they put it together to spray <laughs> and then you spray it on the leaves. And so I know that they love my hydrangeas. And so I have spent a ridiculous amount of time spraying hydrangeas with coyote pee and eggs and, and I, it has, it's, had mixed, it's had mixed results how's that how's that working out for you well Andy? they keep finding new things different things to eat and i can't spray Surprise. the whole the forest they just right and so they're just moving around to different things and i'm starting to freak out because what I read on the internet is that once they get in a habit of coming to an area, they just keep keep coming, coming which mm-hmm. makes them good if you're a hunter who wants to kill them, but not good if you don't want to kill them. You just want them to leave your plants alone, sure. right? And so things went to the next level today. Uh-oh. I um I spoke at uh, Mississippi State University's College of Veterinary Medicine years ago okay. uh, for for their students. Can't wait and to see where this is going. And as a a gift, the students gave to me a cowbell, a Mississippi State cowbell. And so it's a cowbell with a handle that is made to raise hell 
uh-huh. at a football game. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like it's yes. got an anchor hand and you just dong yes. dong and it is, oh boy, it's real loud. Like we carry it gently through the house because it is real loud. Okay. And my research has also told me that uh, deer are skittish creatures who don't <laughs> like people. And if they become startled or associated in an area with people or loud noises, they <laughs> will avoid them. And so the war, where we are right now is I and Skipper have taken to watching out the windows in the mornings and evenings to spot deer creeping into the yard. And this morning, my wife saw one out the bathroom window and said, there's a deer beside the house. At which point I grabbed my cowbell and uh-huh. ran out of the house. Yes! I'm screaming. <laughs> and I chased the, this deer took off like a shot from a cannon. Like you've oh. never seen a deer. It just blurred into like a brown streak with a white butt tuft disappearing into the like, it, but it launched like a rocket. And I I run I'm barefoot. I'm running with my cowbell and oh it took it took me a half an hour to get Allison calm back down to where she could go to work and be productive. You okay? <laughs> I scared the heck out of that guy. I'm not con- I'm not convinced that he's smart enough to change his way. I think this may become I was gonna say, how how's how's that? <laughs> How's it working? How's it working out for you? Well, Stephanie Goss, if if you were eating lettuce in my yard and I came running at you with a cowbell and screaming, oh. would you would you come back? The mental the mental image. Um, it... <laughs> I'm highly optimistic. I'm highly optimistic that it's check and mate and work over I the deer. Highly optimistic that the deer are just going to wait until it's dark and then they're going to come back when you can't see them and they're going to continue to eat everything that you haven't sprayed coyote pee and eggs on i i don't (laughs) appreciate your negativity about (laughs) i'd like to table this until you have a proposed solution that you would like to put forward because Um, i don't want to hear why my plan's not going to work and no and no constructive feedback so i was i started (laughs) building I started laughing six minutes ago when you started telling this story because you have told us repeatedly on this podcast uh, that you have multiple acres in the middle of the woods. I'm defending a large, <laughs> a large territory. So I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that some of your research should probably involve like, um, like going really looking at farming techniques and resource material from like way back when settlers lived in the middle of the woods and like had farms where they had large amounts of property and deer because i'm i'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to cover two whole acres with coyote pna no 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 i just i just need to defend the hostess i will tell you i have read all of the recent uh, issues of modern golf course magazine because this is a i'm not alone in this fight there's a like there, there's a brotherhood of those of us united by a common enemy um, the, trying to save expensive <laughs> landscape plants. It's, it's 100% true. <laughs> uh, that is that is how we got our dog, Bert. That was her job. 
<laughs> she she lived at the golf course uh, for a majority of every day and she chased off all of the deer and geese from from eating and pooping on all of the plants and grass. Maybe you just need to teach Skipper how to go on patrol around your house without being a bad dog and taking off. I was like, say, Skipper, <laughs> Skipper is wildly unreliable. This feels a lot like releasing a species to deal with another species <laughs> and having more problems. <laughs> Because right. of the second I one. I don't think Skipper is the right dog for the job here. Skipper is, there's not a problem that Skipper is the solution to. <laughs> Maybe the solution is to get another dog. <laughs> That's oh, yeah, how Holly would yeah. feel about that. Yeah. Oh we my God. Okay. Dog. We're almost 10 minutes in. We, it's time, uh, it's time to actually get to the point. <laughs> okay. All right. If, if you want to talk about something else, we can we can do that. Oh my god! Uh, okay, my my. I don't face. know that I'll have any other solutions as streamlined and well thought out as my Mississippi State cowbell solution, but we can try. I'm pretty sure any of the students who are listening are very proud of how you put their gift to good use. And you know, my wife was like, "You've had that for years. What? Why do you still have a Mississippi State cowbell?" This, and I was like, "One day, what? one day, I'm going to need this." That day was this morning. I can't wait to hear what your neighbors think of you. I just, I thought about that too. It's like, is that a veteran, is that the veterinarian screaming with a cowbell oh. chasing the deer? I can't, I can't. <laughs> okay. Oh my God, my face and my stomach hurt from laughing. Okay, um, we've got it. We've got a good one today. I'm, I'm really excited. I got to rein it in. Uh, let's get it together. Um, we've got a good one today. Uh, we got an email through the mailbag, which was a uh, wonderful from a veterinarian who uh, finds themselves in a position that they're really struggling with. So they, uh, had a rough start to veterinary practice life. And eventually they found a practice that felt like it was a place that they could really get settled. They were there for a good amount of time. Um, they had a great doctor team, excellent technicians. They had a technician who really leaned into training and educating and became a great resource for our writer veterinarian uh, and was a really good mentor who became a really good friend. And uh, th the doctor who wrote in said, you know, I, I really grew, I've grown and developed so much. And so much of it is in thanks in part to this technician who stepped up and, and helped uh, be a mentor to me. And they left their practice for a while. And um, then they had an opportunity to come back to uh, the same practice and the same group of techs was still there. Um, and when they came back into the practice, they came back in as an owner in the practice as, as a part owner. Um, and so it's a group of vets who own the practice together. And so this vet was like, you know, I, I, I obviously it's a learning curve. I've taken on partners. There's, there's lots of growing pains. I'm coming back into a practice after having been gone for a while. Um, and there's lots of change and most of it is okay. And I'm managing most of it well, but I'm really struggling because in part, there's one relationship with one of the technicians that I'm really struggling with. And it's the technician who really mentored this vet. And it feels like um, to this veterinarian, it feels like this technician is really struggling with adjusting to the change in roles. So now instead of being a mentee and an associate vet in this practice, this veterinarian has 
stepped in and as leader in the practice and an owner. And it seems like this technician is really struggling to accept that change of role. Uh, the doctor said, there's lots of times where I feel like I'm still being treated like a new grad. Um, and uh, I feel like I'm actually getting pressure from this technician to handle cases um, and do things differently with my medicine. Even when I don't agree and we've had a conversation about why I don't agree, I feel like there's a lot of uh, outwardly expressed disagreement and negativity towards the way that I'm managing my cases. And um, the, our writer was like, I'm really struggling because I don't see the same behavior with the other veterinarians in the practice. Um, I never experienced this previously. I've only started to experience it since I've come back into the practice as a partner. And they said, you know, I thought I was handling everything fine. And I was looking at it from a, I feel like maybe this is just me perspective, but this technician has uh, been on vacation. And our writer was like, look, I, I feel, I felt like during that two weeks I went to work and I felt unstressed and I felt like everything was, was really good. And I realized that a lot of the anxiety that I'm having around work um, has to do with my relationship now and where this is at. And I'm struggling not only with the the behaviors within the practice, but also feeling like I'm losing a really good friend because this is somebody who I really treasured and valued the relationship. And I feel like that relationship has shifted and it's feeling really much a, a struggle for me right now. And so um, the, the our writer was like, I feel like I'm on my own with this because there aren't problems with the other veterinarians. And so I don't know how to approach figuring out is it me? Am I the problem? And also how do I deal with feeling like as a veterinarian, I have a technician on my team who is not only questioning my medicine, but who this, who I feel like is actively um, pressuring me to do things their way, which feels uncomfortable to this guy. There's a whole lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, yeah, there's a lot here, but, but I, th I think we can handle this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. The first thing that I, that I thought about when I read this is uh, my friend, Dr. Lance Rosa, uh, who's a multi-practice owner. Mm -hmm. He has a, a phrase that he uses. He gives this piece of management advice sometimes where, so there'll be people who will be really struggling with an employee and, or they'll have a, a potentially toxic person. And they're like, I'm not sure if they're toxic or, or whatever, but I keep sort of butting heads with these people. And he calls it a garden vacation. Uh -huh. And his, his advice is to send them home for two weeks and pay them. Yeah, uh, send right. them home and pay them for two weeks and just let them have a garden vacation and then see how you feel for those yeah. two weeks. And if the whole tone of the clinic changes and everybody's happy and you have the best days you've had in months, you know what you should do then. Like this, this makes this clear. So I'm not saying that this technician should go, especially if no one else is, is having a problem um, at all. But it just that was the first thing that popped into my head is, oh, the old garden vacation. It is a uh, it is an interesting and often effective diagnostic tool on uh, is this where the stress is coming from? And then you send them away and you go, oh, yes, it was. It was. All I can think is that nobody wants to vacation in your garden because there's cowbells and deer. <laughs> and deer. <laughs> and it smells like Anyone wants to come and next to my hydrangeas. Uh, you can have a garden vacation. Uh, you can sleep with the cowbell. And I when can't. you hear the chomping of deer teeth on baby tree limbs, you can charge out. Chase off. Um, no, I, I love that. And and um and I think that it's true. And I think the interesting part here is that that is exact un unintentionally, that's exactly what happened for this veterinarian. And yet they're like, I so the garden vacation worked great for me 
because I feel like, oh, okay, now I recognize that this is a source of stress and anxiety for me, but it doesn't seem to be that way for everybody else on the team. So now what? Like when I've identified that part of it is just me and it's not like the whole team was 10 times happier or less stressed or whatever emotions that they're feeling, but it was me. Then, then what do I do? Which is what I thought was so interesting about this one. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, it's, anyway, let, let's let's walk it through. Okay. I, I think there's there's a lot of assumptions here, and I mm. like to poke holes in assumptions. So let's go <laughs> ahead and get started. We'll start we'll start with some headspace. So, okay. so for our doctor here, uh, who's kind of stressing about this, and it sounds like like he or she is questioning herself a lot um, yeah. about yeah, am I am I wrong here? Is are other people feeling this way? Right. It, the, the biggest thing. So, so let me let me start with with um, with a couple of things. I don't know what's going on with this with this technician, you know, and, and I don't know how much of it is real and how much is just perception. And you know, um, we all we all sort of tell ourselves stories. And I I, just, sure. I don't know how much is, is real here. There is a uh, psychological principle called the anchor principle, and it, what it says is that people tend to remember us and think of us as the way we were when they met us. So if you met someone as a college kid. Uh, 10 years later, when they're 27 years old, you still have a tendency to think of them as a college kid. Um, you know, I know people who still think of me as a vet student because that's when they met me, you know? <laughs> this, um, is the, this is the reason This is the reason that my, my kid uh, recently told me, oh yeah, somebody was asking me how my mom, my mom was and I said that you were 32. <laughs> that's how that's how old you were when she when she met you i was like uh kid i love you so much that's amazing you can tell people i'm 32 forever 100 yeah. percent. yeah that's but that, that makes sense right like that was well, when he learned how old i was that stuck uh, yeah. in his brain and so that's, that's what he that's tells people yeah that's exactly it I see this a lot with 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 young doctors and new doctors sure. Sure. where um, and I see it a lot with I see I want to see I see it with pretty much every staff member is that when you start your career at a practice and you're a baby, whether you're a baby vet or a baby tech or, or baby front desk or whatever, uh, the people who train you tend to remember you as a baby and then three years go by and you have three years of experience plus the training that you had coming in. And there can still be a tendency for people to remember you as the new grad, sure. the baby tech, things like that. Right. And I think that that's a reason why you see a lot of people change jobs after a year or two out of tech school or out of out of vet school, of, of vet school especially. People come in, they take their lumps, they make their sort of their mistakes, they learn the things that they're going to learn to make them a competent doctor. And at some point, you know, they they are still getting treated like a baby vet, and 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 other places are like, hey, you got three years experience, you're a fully functioning doctor, come here. And I do think sometimes people just want a fresh start um, to kind of get away from that. I don't know sure. how common that is versus other things, but it, it is it is a true psychological principle. It is a thing that happens. And so when I, I look at this and I say, okay, we've got this technician who was here who really mentored this doctor. And then later on, the doctor's kind of chafing now that she's a partner and she's still sort of getting mentored in some ways, you know, uh, sort of uh, fact checked and, uh, and sort of leaned on to practice in the way that the technician wants. Right. I go, that, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that history thing? Is that because this uh, technician remembers her just getting started? Is right. that what it is? Is it is this a power thing because now you're a partner in the practice and this person feels like you have kind of jumped over them and they're trying to sort of take you down a 
peg and that, sure. you know what I mean? Or, or sort of solidify their own place. And I don't know, try to convince others that you may be a partner, but, but that they're still, I don't know, the most senior voice. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that is, but all those things go through my mind as far as what is the root cause of this? Well, I think that's a super valid um, point. And you and I, you and I did an episode um, and we'll, we'll drop it in the show notes. You and I did an episode and I can't remember the title of the episode, but where we talked about what, when you um, are friends with the team and then you become the boss. Right. And I think that there probably is a measure of that attached to this because this is someone who knew to your point about the anchor principle. This is someone who knew you when you were recently out of, out of school and you were very, you were very much in a developmental phase and you were learning and you were growing and you were finding your footing and you were figuring out how to be a veterinarian this is someone who knew you then who became friends with you and you built a relationship during that phase. And now you have jumped and you have shifted and it's, and it's a big jump. And in this case, to your point, Andy, you, you have jumped over them and into a role coming back into this practice where you are to some degree, effectively their boss. You might not be their immediate supervisor, but as a part owner in the practice, like you have a say and you are their boss, you're their employer. And, and so I think that there probably is, I couldn't imagine not thinking about that. If I'm putting myself in the technician shoes, like there would, there would absolutely be a part of me that would think about, oh, this person is my employer now. And I have to, you know, like that, that shifts things. And in that episode, we talked about, we have to have the conversation and we have to, we have to ask questions. And so this, for me, part of the headspace and part of the, the, the solution piece of this absolutely has to be about, did we miss having some conversations? And it sounds, you know, you were saying we need to poke holes in it. It sounds to me like this is one of the holes that I would poke is like, did you have a conversation? Have you, have you talked to, to her about it, about how you're feeling about how, you know, you, you value the friendship. Like there was so much information given to us. And the first thing I thought of is like, have you talked about any of this? Mm. Cause those are, those are big changes. Yeah. You know, you do that so well. That's, that's, that's something I really admire about you is, is that you have such a relationship focus and you anticipate these things and you're really good about having, having those conversations up front about what this means for our relationship. And let's, let's talk about this. And, and so it, you know, it, it, completely makes sense that, that you would have that thought and want to and want to go in that direction. I think that that's tr- really true. And I think that I think that you do that really well. And so I think in the action steps, we should talk about maybe what that conversation sort of looks like. I think I think the classic things that you and I always talk about, um, you know, assuming good intent, yeah. uh, you know, just, just try, let's try to lead with grace. It's easy to feel like this person is undermining me. They're yes. working against me. Yes. They're destroying my credibility. Insubordination. Yes. <laughs> And insubordination is a code word for flaming, raging sort of justice. Uh, and that's exactly what comes 100%. to my mind is insubordination. And we pull the flaming, raging sort of justice and we take heads because how dare you cross me and yes. undermine my authority. You and I are very much uh, of one mind today because that was the mental image I had in my head. Like, it's very easy to get into that negative headspace of yeah. feeling like, Okay, especially because they have unintentionally had a garden vacation and you and this this writer has recognized that so much of their stress and anxiety ties to this person. And so I could totally hallucinate that if I put my myself in the veterinarian's shoes, mm-hmm. that I would be feeling mad and, and and angry and and 
maybe not looking at things from a place of good intent because I'm just like questioning my medicine and I want to grab that flaming raging sword of justice and just attack you with it. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I, I agree with you hundred percent. I had assumed good intent at the top of my list. Like I think you have to be in a good headspace to ask questions about why is it happening? And more importantly, what can we do to change it once we once we have that first conversation? Um, and I think the only way you get to that is to tell yourself that I don't think this person is doing this intentionally. I want to understand where they're coming from and mm-hmm. why they're why they're behaving the way that they are. And how I can agree. I how can I start there? I agree. And I think I think that one thing you really don't want to screw up here, I think a lot of people screw up is they don't have the conversation until they're angry. Right. You know, and they're triggered a, and they're triggered and, they're, you know, they've they've just felt um, mistreated in, or in front sure. of the group or undermined and they and they get mad and they say, let me tell you what I think of you. Right. And, and the, you know, and there's, that stuff is hard to take back. And, yeah. and it's just, it muddies the water. It sounds like, honestly, as this person has gone away for a garden vacation and we've had some clarity and time to think, when they come back, it may be a very good time to try to have the conversation because we've had some space and some distance. Sure. And they've, they've had some time away. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that could be a distinct possibility. So th- yeah. that's, that's the headspace for me is don't allow yourself to get mad because that's it's not going to go well if you get if you get angry. Try to assume good intention on this part. I really like it, I really like your idea of uh, focus more on where is this person coming from and trying to understand what their position is or why they're behaving this way. I think that that's I think that that's really I think that's really good. And then I think that uh, that we should lean into the relationship and relationship power. I, I don't think that you want to lean into the idea of I'm your boss. And so we're going to have a boss to employee right. conversation. Yeah, no. I think we should. <laughs> I think we should lean into, hey, you and I have worked together for a long time and I always respected you and you've you've really positively impacted my career. And I feel like we're not working well together mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now. And I, I want to talk about that because I want us to. I want us to be friends and I want us to, to, to enjoy each other and enjoy working together. And so that's, that's the headspace I'm going for. Yeah. I think that's, I think that that is, is really, really important. I think what you said about, um, being, being in a good headspace is, is so important because I think it would be really easy to, when, when you have the conversation, which is the action part, right? Like one of the things you're going to have to be able to do is give them some solid examples of the behavior or the specific behaviors that they are exhibiting, whether it's asking questions of you in front of the team, like what, what is what is causing this veterinarian to feel like this technician is questioning their medicine or second guessing the way that they're practicing medicine or trying to quote unquote, tell them how to practice. My question would be, what does that look like? And I would bet you a hundred dollars that if you tried to answer that question when you're in the moment, your answer is going to be radically different than when you are not hacked off <laughs> and feeling angry at this person. And so I think the headspace piece of it has to do with assuming good, the, why assuming good intent is so important is because I think this veterinarian needs to ask themselves to look objectively at the situation and say, what are, what is the behaviors? What are the, what are the things that are happening that make me feel that way? And is, is it possible that what I feel like is happening is not what is truly happening in the moment. And so this is where I often like, uh, it's hard to tell that on your own because 
we don't look clearly at what we're too close to, right? And so part of it for me is sometimes stepping back and getting that perspective, whether it's asking a coworker who was present or um, another veterinarian who was in the treatment room when that, you know, uh, when you guys had that um, interaction with each other where you felt like they were questioning your medicine to ask somebody else, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Can you give me your perspective of how that conversation went or how that interaction went? Because it could just be me, right? Like I could be getting upset over something uh, that feels emotional to me that maybe didn't come across that way to anybody else. And so I think part of it from a headspace perspective is, is taking that step back and just telling yourself, is it possible asking yourself the question, is it possible that something else could have happened here and I'm not seeing it clearly? Um, Because I think that that really is helpful for narrowing down the behaviors specifically to be able to use them as examples and solving this and having the conversation with the the technician, but also from giving yourself some distance and some perspective from that that emotion. Yeah, this is where bravery comes in. Um, the, The not brave answer is to approach this from a from a defensive position and to say you know why is this happening and why you know this is this is how i feel and this is how you feel and you know blah 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 um and and it's not putting yourself out there to be hurt or to um to accept any responsibility yeah the brave position is vulnerability it's to say i'm not sure if i'm if i'm the only one feeling this or if i if this is not real um Oh, you know, this this could just be my own insecurity. Right. But I'm but I'm looking but I'm looking at this and I'm feeling like we're not connecting and it's really bothering me because I you know, I don't and I don't know exactly what to make of it and what I'm contributing and what I'm not contributing. But I really want to talk to you about it and iron it out. And that that that's how we get vulnerability. Other people is, you know, we have to go first. We have to be the first one to say, I'm I'm bothered by this and mm-hmm. I don't know if I if I'm doing something that's frustrating you. I don't want to. I want us to work well together. Um I, I you know, I'm I'm wondering if you're having it, feelings of frustration with me and uh and, and sort of where this stuff is, is kind of coming from. But but that that is the scary place to to lead from is to say, I don't know if I if this is just me and I, I'm I don't know if I'm doing something that's making you angry. But it opens the conversation up for a really positive discussion. But you have to, you have to be, it's scary to do it. You have to be brave to put yourself out there. It's a big first step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's part of why the headspace part is so important. And so this like lessons learned, it's funny because you and I always uh, seem to do podcast episodes when it's so, sometimes it's just so timely. Mm-hmm. Um, and like thinking about my own life like i think one of the things that has been a golden rule for me that has served me really well in terms of being brave has been figuring out for myself how do i give myself enough space to process the emotions so that i don't come at it from a place of being triggered and not too much time that i get so in my head that then i'm too chicken to have the conversation and i really do think that there is a fine line there when it comes to bravery, at least for myself. And I have found time and time again that um, I have to have like a, I kind of have to have a timeline in the back of my head where I say, I, okay, it's time to address this, right? Like I've given myself enough time to process my emotions, but not enough time that I then chicken out on having the conversation with the person. Um, And for me, 
that timeline is uh, has to be pretty short <laughs> because I like on a, on a personal level, because what I have found is that if I um, let myself calm down, I very easily go into chicken mode. And so I have kind of a 48 hour rule for myself. Um, and depending on the level of the relationship and the situation, like the three day rule is kind of my rule of thumb where I say, okay, I'm going to take some time to cool off. I'm going to get in. So 48 hours works for me. I give myself 24 hours to kind of calm down and process and ask some better questions. And then I force myself to say, look, if this really bothers you, you either have to say something about it um, or plan to like make a plan, an active plan to have for, for saying something about it. Um, or I'm going to let it go and I'm going to, I'm going to move on. And it's so funny because what I have found time and time again for myself is that the only time that I ever really, truly get angry at myself or regret, (laughs) regret, uh, not being brave happens when I break that rule. And when I don't step up and say something to the person, um, and so I, I think that for me, that is something that has served me really well in terms of figuring out how to be brave is to figure out what that to, to a put a timeline on it for myself and really be true to that rule of like, look, if I say mm-hmm. that I'm going to not talk about this, that I'm going to, it doesn't, I don't want to bring it up to the person. I'm just going to move on. Then I really, truly have to move on. And if I find myself circling back to it, then I have to tell myself, okay, you've circled back to this. Clearly it bothered you. You have to do something about it. And this is a lot of like the kind of shower conversations I have with myself, you know, or the conversations that I have in my own head, but, but it really truly um, has been the best tool for me in figuring out how to be brave. Cause we, we, you and I talk about this a lot about being vulnerable and leading with vulnerability. And I, I often have people tell me, you know, uh, thank you so much for what you guys talked about on the podcast, or you said this thing and it really made a difference for me. Um, and anybody who knows me knows that I immediately turn bright red and get uncomfortable um, and try and deflect that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I will tell you all very vulnerably and candidly right now, like the reason why I feel more comfortable with these conversations is because I I have given myself rules and I have said, look, if, if, if this is the case, if there is something like this that is emotional, that is really bothering you, this is the rule that you're going to live by. And it has really served me well for being able to step into that place of getting brave and saying, this just really bothers me. And like on a human level, I want to enjoy my job and I want to be able to come to work and and enjoy it. And it doesn't just apply at work. It applies in my my personal life as well. But I I just think that um, that is really, really important. And yet the taking that step to be brave is hard. It's, it's hard for me it is really hard for me, you know, and, and I've had people tell me, you make it look so easy. You know, even people that I'm just having the hard conversation with, like you make having this conversation look really easy. It's not easy. Like my palms still sweat. I still get get nervous, but that doesn't mean that I don't force myself to do it. And I think that part of that force for me has been making that agreement with myself and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to step up and say something, or I'm going to move on. Yeah. I, I think that that's I think that that's really I, it's a simple decision to make, but I think it's a really good intentional decision mm-hmm. for sure. So should we take a break yeah. and then talk about, OK, we've recognized that this is bothering this better. What do we do about right. this? I, th- I think that that's the place. Let's let's take a break here and then we'll come back and let's talk about where uh, what actual action steps we're going to do. Sounds good. All right. 
Hey everybody, this is Stephanie and I'm gonna jump in here for one quick second and make sure that you know about a few things that are coming up that I'm pretty sure you're not gonna wanna miss. But before I do that, I have to say thank you. Thanks to a generous gift from our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital, we are now able to provide transcripts for all of our podcast episodes and we have to just say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Andy and I have wanted to make the podcast more accessible and when we were pondering the idea of how do we make transcripts a thing, Our friends at Banfield stepped up in a big way and said, hey, we are striving to increase accessibility and inclusivity across the profession. This fits with that mission for us and we would love to sponsor it. So the 2022 podcast episodes are all now being transcribed and brought to you by our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital. To check out the transcript and find out more about what Banfield is doing to increase accessibility and inclusivity across the vet profession, head over to unchartedvet.com forward slash blog and you can find each one of the podcast episodes and a link to find out more about equity, inclusion, and diversity at Banfield. And now my dear friend Brett Canfield is absolutely awesome. And he is coming back uh, to work with our community and with you if you want to register to attend this workshop to talk about how do we manage a negative team member. We all have them on our teams, right? These are people who are talented, whose skills are needed, but their attitudes might leave something to be desired. Brett is going to walk us through how to lead and how to coach while we explore the not so secret ways to repolarize our most cynical and cantankerous crew members. It is happening on July 13th. It is at 7 p.m. Eastern time, so 4 p.m. Pacific, and it is a two-hour workshop, so it will be over at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. It is $99 if you are not a current Uncharted member, and it is free, as always, to our Uncharted members. That is the uh, thing that is coming up the soonest and you are not going to want to miss it. But we also have more coming at you. And the cool part about your Uncharted membership is all of our workshops are included. So if you head on over to the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash events and you take a look at what we've got upcoming and you're looking at it and you are not currently an Uncharted member and you're like, hey, a bunch of this sounds good. Remember that it's all included with your membership. And so it may be more cost effective to talk to your manager or talk to your practice owner about, hey, could we do this membership thing? Because look at what I'm getting out of it. Anyways, we will hopefully see you all soon. And now back to the podcast. All right. So let's start to unpack uh, how we actually approach this. Um, okay. I'm curious. I'm curious how, how what you think about it. There's there's a fine line between gossiping and asking for advice. Mm-hmm. And True. I think that in some of these situations, one of the things that has helped me is is seeking validation of the scenery, M- meaning I am not looking for other people to tell me that I'm right and this other person is being a jerk. But I, right. I want to know if I am I the only one, because it very much seems in the letter that we got that this doctor is saying, I think I'm the only one and everybody else is having right. a great experience. And so having a conversation with some of the other doctors and saying, hey, not in a not in a negative way, not in a critical way, say, I'm not I don't feel like I'm connecting with this person or I feel like there's some tension between us and and um, and I'm having some some anxiety about about working with them and and kind of working around them. And I'm just curious, have, have you experienced anything like that in the last couple of months or, or any interactions? Uh, do you have any advice for me in, in working with this person or getting along with them? Right. And, and that can be a really useful conversation because a lot of people have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we she and I went through this before. 
And and this is kind of how 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 it went down and kind of what we did or what we decided or or what it took for us to feel comfortable working together. Or they might be like, no, I've never had any problems with this person. Or they might say, um, I have never had any problems, but they they do seem to not be happy about working with you, quite honestly. And I think I think mm-hmm. a lot of vets, especially vets in a trusting relationship, would tell each other, like, yeah, you know, I think maybe you should deal with this issue because I I it looks like it might be sticking around. Um, well, and here's where you get to, for for better or for worse, a partnership is to a degree like a marriage. Yeah. And this is where you lean into the sanctity of your marriage. The sanctity you, of partnership. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you be able to say to your other partners, hey, this is something I'm really struggling with because at the end of the day, your struggles will impact them, whether it is already or not. If you are struggling at work, if you're second guessing yourself, if you're doubting yourself, like ultimately that is going to affect them. And so this is where you lean into that, the privacy rules <laughs> that should apply mm-hmm. to a, a good partnership yep. and say, hey, I am, I am struggling and, and I need to, I want to address this. I'm not, I'm not asking for anybody to solve this for me, but I need a sounding board and I need to see if I'm the only one to your point you know, or, or are there people having this? And in particular, if any of the other doctors have, like, like we talked about earlier, if any of the other doctors who are partners in the practice have been around when the specific behaviors have occurred and asking them for their perspective, um, without sharing, you know, necessarily first, how it made you feel asking for their perspective on the situation can can be really, really helpful. And ultimately you may talk about how it's making you feel and you may have some discussion about how do you address it. And, you know, but but if you're coming to them from a problem solving perspective, I think that's the best thing you can possibly do because at the end of the day, it's, it's gonna impact them too. Yeah, I, I, I was gonna, I agree with that. That was that was on my list as well is, is lower the stakes, meaning um, I, I would not want this to feel or look like a disciplinary conversation at all. Yeah. I want this yeah. to look like, hey, I'm just talking to you. Like this is a relationship conversation. And so I, yes. I, I, I think that that's a good, I think that's a good approach to have. It's not overly formalizing or making this something organizational. Yes. And, and so for, for me, where I start with action steps is where, where you just mentioned, um, like true action steps in terms of talking to the technician about it. For me, it's about the relationship. Um, and it's, and it's about addressing that first and foremost, um, because it sounds from reading the, the letter we got, like the emotions and the hurt is, is the bigger problem or is certainly impacting the veterinarian feeling like their medicine is being questioned. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, it's about having those, the conversation about the relationship. And so the pre pre the pre-planning, the prep for me would be maybe having a conversation with some of the veterinary, the, my partners in the practice and saying, is this just me? Have you, you know, especially if they've seen the behavior, Hey, can I get your take on this? Because, um, you know, I, I would really love to know your, your perspective on this interaction. Um, and then, I would approach it from having a conversation with the technician yeah. and and really just um, leaning into starting with good intention. Yeah. And I care I care about you. We've worked together for a long time. I really value our friendship. And I also really 
you know, I want you to know, like, you have been a mentor to me and I have learned so much from you and I'm struggling because I feel like that has, that has changed. And I want to understand what's going on for you because we're both in this relationship and we're also in this partnership working together as a veterinarian and technician. And so I want to understand where you're, you know, where your head is at and what, what's going on with you. Um, I would very like, and maybe it's like you said, I'm the relationship person. So maybe it makes sense that that's where my brain starts. But for me, it's about leaning into to that conversation first, because I feel like if we can't, if we can't have that conversation, maybe it is a little bit about lowering the stakes and not coming at it from the like disciplinary perspective. But more than that, if we can't iron out how we each feel, I don't know if I was in this veterinarian shoes, I don't know that I could have a conversation about feeling like they're questioning my judgment as a veterinarian without getting fired up and triggered. Right. Like, because I, I feel like if I, I was them, it would be emotionally driven that conversation. And so if I don't address the emotions and where are they coming from first, I know on a personal level, I would struggle with having that conversation objectively at, at, at all. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that as well. And, you know, I, I really think that questioning the judgment is probably a symptom, not an right. underlying problem. And a lot of times yeah. if we have the conversation about, about our relationship and how we're interacting, then the questioning of decisions will just go away. And that may be something that we don't need to directly uh, to directly discuss. Because sure. when, I, when I say to you, Stephanie, I feel like you're questioning my decisions, you're going to say, no, no, I'm no, I'm not. You know, I'm just I'm just asking about the things that I see. Do you not want me to make any suggestions? Do you not want me to say anything if I if I notice something? Well, of course, I, I don't want you to sit silently. I want you to be an interactive participant in what we're doing. But um, that's just that's that's always been an unproductive conversation for me. And so We'll have that conversation directly if we have to. But to your point yeah. earlier, I think the only time to have that conversation is say, hey, when you said this specific thing in front of these specific people in this specific way, that felt like it was undermining my ability to, to do the job and to, and to have the team trust me. Um, mm-hmm. I, hopefully it won't come to that. A lot of times we can just have an overarching relationship conversation and a lot of these specific instances will iron themselves out. Mm-hmm. I, I think you brought up something earlier that I wasn't thinking about when we started, but I think is a super valid um, and important piece of the conversation, which is there is a fundamental shift that has happened in the power dynamic in this relationship. Whereas you were colleagues before you were an associate, she was he or she was a technician. You're on the same team at the same level. And now a power shift has happened where, like I said, even if you're not their direct supervisor, you're their employer. And if you haven't had that conversation and and asked about that, both for yourself, like how do you feel about that? But also how do they feel about that? That that would be a good a good place for me, whether it's where I start or where I where I end, I think I, I would want to unpack that a little and see how they're feeling about that. And I think that's where for me, it's really easy to get brave is to just say, this is really new for Mm -hmm. both of us. And I just want to make sure that we're both, you know, okay with this. And that if there's any worries or concerns 
that we talk talk about it because I really value your opinion and I value you as a technician and I value your skill set and I want to be able to continue our relationship and at the same time I'm acknowledging like that a big shift has happened um, yeah. and then it's that's okay to to you know want to ask questions or have concerns or whatever and I want us both to be able to talk about it yeah yeah I I agree with that um yeah I I I, I like that I think that that's I think that's a good way to go to go forward. Uh, I, you know, I think alternative sort of approaches to take, I, I don't think there's any way to not have this conversation and, and, and try to be vulnerable and have it as open as possible. I, I think, I think yeah. some objectives for me would be to try to recruit this person onto my team and to say, hey, I really want to do a good job here. I want to be successful. I want to be a good boss to work with. I want the team to like me. I want to help create a really good workplace, a positive culture for all of us. And I'd really like I, sure. I'd like your help with that because we work well together, and I want you to be on my side and on my team so that we can do this together. And and that also allows me to sort of pad this person's ego a little bit, um, and hopefully make them feel like there's more opportunity and possibility in being my friend and working with me than there is in working against me. And it'll be more fun to work with me, and they're going to be taken care of. They're going to get they're going to benefit if things go well for me in the practice. I'm going to, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to, I am genuinely going to try to make things better for everybody. And that's something that hopefully I can get them to support and also to feel like they are going to have, you know, we talk a lot about when we do change management, trying to make sure that people can see themselves in the future. And if I can mm-hmm. recruit this person, I'm trying to get her to see herself in the future where she and I work well together and it's a good thing and everybody benefits from this collaboration. And so that sort of approach of, hey, I I want you to be a part of this. I want us to work together. I want us to do do good stuff. Not, I want you to leave me alone so I can do my stuff. It's like, I don't want you to be neutral. I want you to be on my team. I want you to work with me. And a lot of times I can swing people um, and and their perceptions because now they don't feel shut down. They feel included in something new. I like that a lot. That makes sense. Do you have any other thoughts about things like sub pieces to this conversation? No, I think we had, we had most of the big things as far as yeah. um, we mentioned earlier about lowering the stakes. We talked about having an open, vulnerable conversation about the relationship and what it, and what it looks like and what it means and, and, and taking as much ownership as I can of, hey, you know, tell me what I'm doing and tell me how uh, how you're perceiving this and 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 yeah. how we work together and uh, and and try to try to recruit this person. The, the, the last part after that is what happens if it doesn't work. And and I think you do have a couple of options if this doesn't work, and hopefully it will. But let's say that this person is recalcitrant. Let's say that they are not going to tell you how they feel. They're going to do something passive aggressive. They're going to decide that they sure. don't like your face. And that's that's all the reason that they need or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, you know, my big thing would be, and I, I I try to balance the needs of everybody. If the other doctors really like this person, um, to me, it does not feel like failure to uh, minimize my time working one on one with this technician. You know, right. and like yeah. I don't have to work with this person every day. If if the other doctors like her and I and she does not seem to want to work with me, um, it really depends on how your practice is set up. But I do think that a lot of times that can be it is to say, well, this person is not my favorite technician to work with and you guys really like them. And I would be happy if we swung the schedule around a little bit. So maybe I wasn't seeing a lot of appointments. 
with this person. And, and that mm-hmm. may be 100% mm-hmm. possible. There's, yeah. there's, the, there's the old-fashioned feedback model where we have the conversation and, and I try to recruit them and then they won't get on board. I'm going to have some feedback conversations with the person using the specifics that we talked about. It's like, hey, this morning, you and I were talking uh, in the treatment room and and I said this and you said this thing and you said it in front of other couple of other people. And, and when you did that, it made me feel uh, self-conscious. It made me feel like mm-hmm. you weren't supporting the decision that I was made or that I had made. And, and I wanted to point that out to you and say, hey, you know, that it, it's always fine for you to, to voice uh, your concerns. But I ask that you do it in private in a way that doesn't call me out in front of the staff or, or make me right. um, or make me look or feel self-conscious. Right. And, and just start yeah. that start that sort of feedback process. And again, we're we're working through it. And if the person continues to not want to change or interact at some point, you know, you may have to have decide what does that mean? Does that mean that we're going to take this person away from working with you and they're not going to work with you anymore? I don't I don't like that as a practice rule. I think that there's a difference between saying, hey, I prefer to work with these technicians and and uh, and not with those technicians, because in this one instance, we have this personal relationship that hasn't worked out very well. That's different. Right. That's different to me than I don't work with these people and they don't work with me or these two people have to be separated. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then I, I think the, the last thing for me is um, is to try and figure out, and this again would be a conversation that I would lean into with your, your partners as a, as a practice owner is like, it, if it is just this one person, um, I think there definitely needs to be one-on-one discussions and feedback like you mentioned. And I think it's important to give that person the feedback of, and, co- and coaching of, how do you want them to give you input or question, ask you questions? Because most, like you said, most veterinarians are going to want, if a tech catches an error or see something wrong, like you're a team, you want somebody to have your back. You want them to catch, you know, catch that and save your butt and say, oh, did you, did you, did you mean to write that we're going to give that drug five times a day because I don't think that that's what you meant, right? Like you, that, that's the whole point. You want you want a team that is going to look at that and catch catch it and and have your back. And at the same time, I think it is important to know and be able to give that coaching to this person if it is one person of how do you want that delivered? What does that what does that look like? What does it feel like for the for the, all of the doctors, right? Um, but if this is really truly happening with one person, you can take that level of feedback and and have that conversation with them and give them that coaching and feedback. If it is if it is more widespread than that, then I would have a, a conversation with my partners about what does it look like for the technicians to give feedback in direct medicine because every clinic is different. And there's no, really no wrong way of doing it. And I've seen practices where the licensed technicians are, that are heavily leveraged do direct a lot of medicine. And I've worked with doctors who absolutely would not fit in well in those practices because that is, they, they want to, to uh, work in an environment where they are not questioned when it comes to medicine and they direct the the course of medicine, right? And so that would be a, a conversation that I would want to have with my partners is how do we approach it here in this practice? And how do I how make sure that it's something that you can live with and be comfortable with? Um, because everybody's going to have a different level and there's really no wrong way to do it unless it involves someone who's not a veterinarian practicing medicine, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's where, that's where you need to have the conversation with, with your partners. If it is truly 
something that is impacting more than one that more than just this one technician and this one relationship. But if it truly is comes down to you and this technician are really struggling, that's where I think you have to lean into addressing that and giving feedback and coaching. And it is going to have to be active on the part of the veterinarian yeah. to, to be clear and say, Hey, when this happened, I know you were trying to give me feedback about the patient and I appreciate that. And I want your feedback and what you specifically said or how you specifically said it, or the words that you used, you've got, you have to paint the picture for them and tell them exactly what bothered you and then tell them what about it bothered you. Was it because it was in front of other people? Was it because it, it you interpreted that and you translated that into your brain as Sarah doesn't think I'm a good doctor, right? Like that, that is when you give that kind of feedback and coaching to someone one-on-one, you have to be able to paint that picture for them. And I think that that has to be an active part for this veterinarian in the feedback and coaching relationship with this technician. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, that's, uh, I I think that's the best advice that I have. I I think that 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 covers all the bases. I hope that this was helpful. This was a, this was a really good one. I I had a lot of fun with this. Yeah, definitely. Take care, everybody. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Yeah, guys, take care of yourself. I'm going to go check the yard for deer. (laughs) I can't with you. (laughs) Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.